0: Welcome back to the John Sando Podcast. If you'd like to place an order for any of the books mentioned in this episode, then please email or call us. Or if you're nearby, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you.
1: So, welcome. Thank you for coming. And we are extremely pleased to have Hisham Matar here this evening. He's the, uh, I'm sure you've all read some, if not all, of his books. He is the most wonderful writer who we have had such pleasure at Sandoz selling <coughs> since your first one, Country of Men and the new one is an absolute delight and in a completely different vein from the, other, the others except insofar as it has this thread of looking at pictures who,
2: which Hisham does quite unlike anybody else and he will tell you about it
1: now. Thank you, Hisham. Thank you. Thank um, you. And, and welcome. Um, I really love this place. It's, um, uh, I'm always happy to be back here. Um, and this is the first uh, event, um, first reading from uh, a month in Siena um, that, uh, that I do here in, in, in London, in my, in my home city. In fact, it's the first time that I have a book published when I'm not here. So this is why this is the first event. But what a, what a wonderful place to, to have it. On the way here, uh, thinking about uh, coming here, speaking to you, reading to you, I thought of how books um, are, um, I mean, unless you're very lucky and you have a wonderful terrace and a well-tempered place, most books are written inside a room. and uh, but also that they themselves become rooms Um, that uh, a book in one way we can think of a book is as a space that organizes um, enthusiasms ideas um, very much like a room has a purpose has a has every detail in it the shape the size of it the proportions of it um, have been considered uh, whilst keeping in mind a purpose, a, a kind of a kind of atmosphere, um, and I think this is possibly one of the things that uh, Jorge Luis Borges was talking about when he said that books on the shelf are dead, and they're waiting for the right reader to pick them up, and at that moment the book comes alive. Um, But I think also perhaps that part in us that hasn't been attended to before, that the book enlivens in us, also uh, comes alive. That in other words, as I was walking here and thinking about this idea of books as rooms, I thought they are themselves as objects are spaces in that sense, but also that they awaken in us rooms. that uh, this very simple idea but as a reader and as a writer for me it's, it just seems infinitely fascinating <laughs> this very simple idea that actually no matter how great or wonderful a book is it can't introduce in you feelings maybe I would go as far as say ideas that you don't already have an inkling of that a book, what a book does is it relies on the already present sort of orchestra of, of feelings that we all share, right, um, your interiority. So another way of thinking of it is that a book um, is a room in that, s- as a space, but also a book that opens up a space in you or, or lights it up or helps you to, to uh, become more acquainted with it or discover it. And so I thought maybe that might explain why that strange thing that I've always thought was perverse about me, that I would read a tragedy and it would break my heart, but at the end of it I would feel somehow, not cheered up, (laughs) but somehow consoled in some way. Um, And I think it's because at that moment I'm recognizing uh, the way in which that tragedy, say, for example, Hamlet, has attended to me, has uh, woken up things in me that were already there but hadn't necessarily been used in that way. It's a wonderful thing to be used by a work of art, I think, to be employed in that way. And as I was thinking this, I also thought uh, that maybe that is another inflection we can have on what Virginia Woolf might have meant by a a room of one's own that not only of course the urgent uh plea right for a space in which a disenfranchised uh uh party in this case women uh can have a space to to create to be acknowledged to be attended to their uh consciousness what she calls the that you know that 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 i belong <coughs> to the gender as she puts it uh of those who have been kept indoors for a million years. right? And this idea of being indoors, of being captivated, right? Is I think is another way that we can think about these rooms, that they could work in both ways. They could be places of exclusion and, uh, and uh, in <coughs> inclusion. Um, and so as I was thinking about all this and thinking, how might I talk to you about my book? <laughs> Which is not something I'm very good at. Um, I'm, I'm much uh, more comfortable talking about other people's books, <laughs> but um, I thought that maybe one of the ways to come in uh, um, uh, 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 to it is to read you a part, which is the uh, second chapter that is called uh, "Shape of the R- uh, the Shape of a Room," and it's um, and it, it's a it's a part of the book that thinks about this idea of of um, of space and what what we can do in spaces. The Shape of a Room. Back in the early 1960s Siena became the first Italian metropolis to restrict access to motor vehicles. The bus deposited us at the edge of the city. We pulled our suitcases into the dimly lit web of alleyways the rain was now a drizzle, and the black cobblestones shone darkly. The narrow streets made the houses loom over us. Their greying terracotta bricks were only vaguely perceptible in the night. The sharp turns of the passageways and the closeness of the buildings gave me the sense that I was entering a living organism. With every step, I pressed deeper into it and, as though in response, it made room. I was inside a place both known and deeply unfamiliar. The flat that I had rented turned out to be part of an old palazzo. It had frescoed ceilings and perfectly proportioned rooms. The modest exterior of the building made the beauty of these private spaces even more acute. Over the coming days, And whenever I left the house, I was often conscious even without looking back at the sober façade. It was like an ally to whom I wanted to unburden all sorts of secrets. The place reminded me how the buildings we encounter, like new people we may meet, can excite passions that had up to then lain dormant. Most of the time we are not even aware of such adjustments. They happen mid-stride. And are often mutual, for just as we influence and are influenced by others, the atmosphere of a room too is marked by what we do in it, and most of what we do vanishes. But a slight and shadowy remnant remains. How else then to account for why we can perceive awfulness where awful things have occurred, or be quietly inspired by a room where for a long time attention had been given to what is beautiful and kind. Every time I returned to the flat, I felt my anticipation grow, and over the coming days, everywhere I went in Siena, I did, in effect, carry with me, like a private song, the pleasure of those rooms. The play of understated exteriors and magnificent interiors, of calm serenity on the outside and deliberate care And thoughtfulness on the inside, of a modest or moderate face concealing a fervent heart is a Sienese habit, a magic trick the city likes to perform. It does this not only out of the desire to surprise but also, I felt during those early days, to demonstrate the transformative possibility of crossing a threshold. We often never think of this, of how our sense of being subtly change, changed by walking into even the most inconsequential of buildings or transitioning from one room to the next. In our age we have come to underestimate architecture by exaggerating its utility. We often think of buildings not as spaces where human life takes shape but rather as sites for certain functions and activities. Siena resists this. It is as though The wall that encircles the city like a ribbon is as much a physical boundary as it is a spiritual veil. It is there to keep out invading armies, but also to keep in and intensify Siena's sense of itself. Independence here is not merely a political concern, but a spiritual and philosophical one, aligned with the sovereignty of spirit, with the right to exist in accordance with one's own nature, as well as the need not to lose sight of the self. Diana and I spent that first morning walking aimlessly, the twisting lanes meandered with their own secret purpose, governed less by a town planner's master plan than a spontaneous temperament. Or so Sienna led you to believe, until you suddenly reach its crescendo, which lay at the kernel of itself, a square like no other, the Piazza del Campo, simply referred to by the Sienese as Il Campo, this is where Siena reaches the middle of itself, where it pours out completely. But here also is its source. This is the end and the beginning, the location of the twin tides declared in the open. And it was as though Diana and I had entered a space that was ours, one in which we had all along been anticipated, And where, we suspected, once we left, we would continue to be expected. Isn't this at least one definition of happiness, I thought, to be anticipated? But, of course, it was not ours alone. Here we had to keep our manners and perhaps even our wits about us. No matter where we were in the square, we were able to see the entire place. Not one person was hidden. This strange effect was made possible by El Campo's unusual fanning shape and by the way the ground dips dramatically toward the long side where the civic and secular heart of the city, the Palazzo Publico, raises its tower high to compensate for the (coughs) hill and achieve its ultimate goal, which is to be the tallest building in the city, taller than any church. It was as if I had become, by simply walking into the square, an all-seeing eye. But because I could see every person in the square, this meant that each of them could potentially see me, too. It was a space of mutual exposure. Whatever it is that creates that elusive bond between strangers taking account of one another in a public space was present here but in such a crisscrossing of currents that the whole place seemed electrified. And so, although we had entered a recess, a sort of giant pit, Il Campo also appeared like a lit-up stage to be suspended. To cross it is to take part in a centuries-old choreography. One meant to remind all solitary beings that it was neither good nor possible to exist entirely alone the uh the one of the things that the book is is interested in or focused on is this idea of being alone and in, in what happens in in solitude what are the things that are possible um um i don't particularly enjoy being alone you know i, I like being with people um but there are certain things that are not possible uh, um, unless uh, I am I am alone Um, and so I um, have always been curious about that why that's the case Um, and the book on some level is thinking about that and exploring what might occur in that space Um, uh, but as you've probably gathered from that passage I'm not entirely alone here. I am with my dear wife, Diana. We went to Siena together. We, um, but after two days, she returned home and I spent uh, the month um, alone. And um, I went out of a very uh, curious um, desire. So a desire that sort of was vague to me because um, uh, it was a moment when I had finished uh, a book. I'd finished uh, my book, The Return. A book that required from me uh, a certain kind of um, a certain kind of stamina um, and uh, uh, that wasn't purely literary it was literary but it was also uh personal it asked of me uh, to uh, to uh to make myself available in ways that weren't necessarily always uh easy or um Or natural to my to my to my to my nature and um, and so finishing it I felt all the things that I've always felt when I finish a book which is a a feeling a kind of you know an exhilaration feeling of victory and defeat um, a feeling of being both full and emptied um, and also not required you know you're out I mean one of the things that uh, 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 you know if you were to ask me the thing that I that I uh, treasure the most about um, um, the task of writing a book the thing that I enjoy the most about writing a book uh, is the way um, as you work on it the book starts to govern your your uh, your life in some way and um, it, it, it curates your enthusiasms Um, uh, because a book comes with its own attitudes its own tastes very much like a person I think Um, and those tastes might not be familiar to you they might not even be your tastes (laughs) Um, and so there's a there's a process of of being um, of being governed in some way by it and (coughs) and I've loved that because it introduces me to to, uh, uh, you know, to oftentimes other works and other ideas, uh, it makes me feel slightly smarter than I am ordinarily, you know, because it focuses <laughs> your, your, um, your, your, your mind. And, um, and so, um, so that's what I mean by not required, because at the end of that, when it's finished, you're so you really don't know what to do with yourself. You know, you've sort of been trained over the period of three years that it took to write The Return to make yourself useful To the requirements of this book and then suddenly you're you're um, you're out uh, not needed anymore Um, and um, and so it's uh, you know you're always at a bit of a loss but I felt somehow that I would allow myself something that um, I'm not uh, usually very good at which is to stop working and to go off and do something that would give me pleasure um, to attend to my pleasure um, complicated business, uh, attending to your pleasure, particularly when I think you're in your mid to late 40s. It's not clear where the pleasure is. <laughs> so it doesn't seem always obvious to me. Um, and, um, and so I thought, I came up with a lot of ridiculous ideas and eventually settled on going to Siena because since I was 19, I've been very interested in these paintings that were, um, that sort of emerged out of Siena. Uh, the so-called Sienese schools of the 13th 14th and 15th centuries and it's a very it's a very curious uh, period in the history of art because it falls um, you know just at the sort of the waning influence of the eastern church um, and before that great energy and explosion that we sort of as a shorthand called the renaissance right so it, it's somewhere in that in that gap um, and uh, I've always uh, found those paintings very um, attractive and interesting, and, um, and and available in some way. They're very playful and uh, uh, fascinating, um, and uh, um, uh, and because of this very powerful interest in them. Uh, it kind of created a sort of phobia <laughs> towards Siena. I, I thought I can't go to Siena for a couple of days. I have to go for a long stretch of time. So I've avoided Siena all my life. I've managed not to go to Siena. I was very close to Siena many times and, and, and made up stories to, 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 to excuse myself from any obligation to go there. Um, so this was the moment I felt. I could go and spend a month uh, looking at these paintings. Um, and uh, and uh, as I was there, this thing started to emerge between a relationship between me and the city and the paintings, this sort of triangle that um, seemed to be uh, a really a, a space to think about certain things that I haven't uh, been able to think about uh, before um, in the same way. Um, and and so um, uh, 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 one of the one of the 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 sort of the the motifs right of this period was these engagements with with the paintings and uh, how um, like books like a room uh, a painting or perhaps all, I think all works of art are like that I think music is like that they're sort of landing places they're places where we could stop and. Where we could engage with uh, a, a, a subject that is filled with vitalities. So it's like the best sort of conversations that one could have, I think. Um, and so I thought to to the next thing I would read you is um, uh, is a passage about this um, this one painting um, by uh, by Duccio, uh, the sort of fountainhead of Sienese art. Um, and I, um, there, there's a black and white um, print of it. Um, as 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 an aside, um, it's been quite uh, it's been quite enjoyable working on the production of the book, you know, um, um, and trying to find the right paper, the paper that would be um, that would be a pleasure to read on. It's not too <coughs> white or too shiny, but that would also print uh, color uh, very well. And I'm very um, I'm very grateful to the designers at uh, Penguin who have uh, tolerated all my demands and and have come up, I think, with a very, very beautiful production. Um, I think writing is far more collaborative than we think. It's collaborative in the private sense uh, because every book arises from engagements with other books and other people and other, um, you know, um, works of art. Uh, But also in this sense, it's collaborative in a very literal sense. that we. don't think I need to introduce much, except I mentioned the wom- women guards, because the guards at the Pinakoteca were all women. And I sort of have this ongoing sort of relationship with them in some, some way. I, I meet a lot of people when I'm there. Uh, I also mentioned this Nigerian woman that uh, I became momentarily friendly with. Um, and yeah, there are other people that I don't mention here that I, that I um, became very fond of. swap. Um, taking a seat. The museum guards at the Pinacoteca began to take notice of my visits. They registered how long I spent in front of some of the paintings. One day, after a few minutes of looking at a picture, I felt the hard edge of a chair being nudged against my calves. I thanked the guard and tried to explain that I preferred to stand, that there was something about being able to move, to go closer, walk back that was necessary. She would not hear of it. One of her colleagues joined her to tell me that it was a good idea. We have seen you stand for long periods, the other one said. From then on, I resigned myself to taking the folding chair along with my ticket every day, carrying it in the sling of my arm from one painting to the next. I became very dexterous with the chair. I would lean on it like a cane, sit on it the right way and sometimes the opposite way, with my chest against the backrest, or sideways, as though I were sitting on the terrace of a cafe. The chair, and it was always the same black, wooden, folding chair, became a sort of companion. I was glad for the guard's intervention. I was now able to spend even longer in front of a picture. Didn't we tell you, one of them said, It also made me more familiar to them, which meant I became easier to ignore. It was then that I chanced on the mysterious habit that several of these museum guards shared. Alone and at certain hours of the day, when the galleries were empty, they would stand facing one of the windows that overlooked Siena's terracotta rooftops, which, cascading this way and that, resembled on cloudy days a dark, cubist painting and in sunny brilliant weather a brightly shimmering mosaic and I would hear the museum women guards speak into the window panes. They spoke softly and fluently as though engaged in an actual conversation. At first I assumed that they were on their mobile phones but then I discovered that they were actually talking to themselves. They would stop the moment another guard or visitor appeared. It pleased me that they felt comfortable enough to forget my presence, not least of all because it made it easier for me to forget theirs and remain focused on the paintings, which were the third party, of course, with their own silences and various conversations. After my first excited and somewhat bewildered tour of the Pinacoteca, I spent the following few days mostly looking at the Madonna di Francescani, a painting that is the size of a private letter. It is thought that Duccio painted it sometime around 1290 when he was yet to become the master of the city. It was not till two decades later in 1311 that he produced his masterpiece. The nine magistrates, the Nove, which was sort of as close as you would get to a parliament then, ordered trumpets to sound and all shopkeepers To close their shutters early. Those lucky enough to live on the designated route hung their most valuable drapery out of the windows and leaned out their hopeful faces to catch a glimpse of the passing wonder. The streets were lined with people. Even the officers, the magistrates, and the city's dignitaries turned up for this event of deep state importance. Duccio di Buenensenia the city's greatest artist had just completed his enormous Maesta, an epic altarpiece made up of several panels. Over the centuries, some of these panels were removed and dispersed. But originally, on the day it left Duccio's studio, the painting measured about six meters by six meters. There had been a great build-up; It was all that the city had been talking about for days. The work had been commissioned three years earlier by the city. Outside the artist's workshop on Via del Stalreggi, the painting was c- carefully mounted onto a cart and paraded by Via Banchi di Sotto, then it turned into the Piazza del Campo before going back and turning right into Via del Capitano to finally arrive at the Piazza del Duomo where it was met by priests and monks. All along it was shepherded by the artist, his assistants and apprentices. How astonishing it must have been to be present, to be among those seeing it for the very first time. The painting was so dazzling in its colour and realism and so exceptional in its narrative power at once reverent of Mary and the Apostles, but also unapologetically direct in its fascination with their common humanity, their earthly psychology and emotional life, that it caused the city of Siena to reverberate with a profound depth of feeling. People followed it in silence and awe, carrying candles, praying that Duccio's accomplishment would help to spare their beloved city from any misfortune. A great emotion, both of faith and solidarity, at once private and unifying, captured everyone. It is hard for us today to imagine the power such imagery had in that age. In the mostly pictureless world of that time, such pictorial representations moved and consoled believers, assuring them that they were not only among the faithful but also those who imagined and by doing so, had actually seen the holy and the sacred. The maestra is today housed down the road from the Pinacoteca at the Museo del Opera del Duomo, close to where I had met the Nigerian woman. But I did not want to see it just yet. All I wanted now was to be with this earlier, humbler miniature in which the Virgin Mother's dark gown carves a sort of secondary domain into the middle space, as though she were a doorway onto another reality, or else unveiling a private space, one containing the very quality of her existence, its desolate vulnerability, which is contrasted here with the strength of her great son, who, although still a child, is already aware of the weight and power of his being. The three Franciscan friars at the Virgin's feet appear as one man caught in motion, descending from a position of prayer to kiss Mary's foot, like an early slow-motion film. The child, like all children, has already been initiated into the language of punishment and forgiveness. He understands the friar's plea for mercy and his mother's good ability to give it, and the mother who can read her son's thoughts, is fortified and persuaded by his verdict. This unites the pair in a reciprocal scheme. They are seduced by one another's dominance. This, together with their languid repose, set so starkly against the friar's urgent plea, makes them seem even more confident and authoritative. But the whole plot is undercut by Duccio's sly suggestion which he introduces through the arid stillness of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus, that there is something mildly premeditated about the two. They believe that they know more than most, or perhaps more than all, about the transactional power of blessings. And this, strangely, confines them to their fates. Predestiny here is not so much a theological as a psychological condition. I wondered how I would have looked at this painting had I been Christian. Perhaps I would have liked it less or liked it more or liked it in a way that was beside the point to do with its religious symbolism and I would have then thought that that was the point, that that was why it had sustained my interest and I might have been moved and delighted in a subtly but profoundly different way. Or, then again, if I had been a Christian who had outgrown or for whatever reason turned away from my faith, it might have irritated me, brought back bad memories, reminded me of what I would rather forget. It might then have seemed to belong to the oppressive system that I had denounced or simply left behind in the way modern people do, dusting religion off their shoulders without much ceremony and without even the need not to believe. In this scenario, the painting would have surely come with its own catalogue of other images and smells and voices, perhaps even the faces and hands of people I had grown up knowing. And if this were the case, how peculiar it would have seemed that such a person as myself, coming from a different tradition, should be so absorbed by these pictures as to leave his wife and home to do little else apart from look at them in a city where he knew no one. I might have then seen it, within the competitive language of sibling faiths, as confirmation of my truth. By the same token, a Muslim might have thought it suspicious, perhaps even disloyal, that I would be so taken by such iconography. To be from one of the Abrahamic faiths, to have been born into one and come of age in the culture of another, and in this time that has for so long now been invested in the confrontation of these traditions, often too concerned with narrow distinctions, with condemnations and ill-motivated comparisons, with the logic of discrimination and the lexicon of fear, as though the point of history were to prove ourselves correct more God-loving, more true or more human, as though spirituality were not the private realm of the heart, but rather a race to the finish line, where a smiling God would hand out the medals. All this, as I stood in the Pinacoteca, seemed beside the point. The interesting thing is that all the while I looked at the Madonna del Francescani, none of these things occurred to me. Instead, I was the mother, the child, and the friar. I felt the painting was painted specifically for me, and as though by a brother, not only because Duccio, like all men and women, is a fellow human being, but also because it was obvious to me that he did not intend his picture to be approached from a place of affiliation or allegiance, but rather from the simple position of being human. This is an essential part of the power of the Madonna del Francescani. It is far more interested in human life than it is in God. Now I've said everything I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's your turn. <laughs> Thank you. <for> <laughs> My pleasure.
0: At this point, Hisham answered questions from the audience. The first was about the length of time that he takes to look at a painting, not just glancing once, but returning again and again, and what was happening in that continuous looking.
1: Um, that's, that's such a good question, because that is sort of the question, what is happening? Yeah. Right, because it's, it's, um, it's very deceptive, isn't it? Um, um, how to look at a, a picture, or indeed how to read a book. I mean, we all uh, have agreed with books. That you, you read the first sentence, then you read the second and the third and you keep going until you, you finish it and, and, you know, you've read it. Uh, but we also know that's not necessarily always how we read a book, that oftentimes a, a second or a third rereading exposes things uh, um, that we, we didn't see in, in, in the first reading. Or, in fact, one reading but under a certain kind of condition with a certain kind of attention. Uh, brings things uh, up. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this, where you read a book that uh, a friend uh, uh, has 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 encouraged you to read, and you have no, or or that you've always wanted to read, and you, there's no meeting between you and the book. Nothing happens, and you leave it, and ten, twenty years later, you pick it up and you're lit up by it. You no, know? so I think there is something about the right moment to encounter a book. This is one of the challenges, I think, of of um, teaching literature, right? Because you're you're having to uh, bring to students things, uh, you know, at a quick succession. Um, But I think with paintings, maybe it's even more deceptive because they're, you know, they're they're very explicit. You know, they're naked. They're there. You could look at it very quickly and you've seen it. I mean, who's to say you haven't? You know, who's to say uh, you know whether me standing uh um you know in front of a picture um of you know the way I do for a long period of time uh or actually for short periods of time for about i you rarely more than twenty minutes but I do it two three times a week and then keep doing it for about a year you know this is and but but who's to say that someone else who maybe. The concerns of the painting are far more available to her uh, or her sensibility is far more uh, in alliance with the painting that she could stand in one minute and get a lot of what uh, you know i don't think it's obvious to me actually um and so um chicago um museum did a study on how many how long people stand in front of the pictures on average and it was under a minute it was something like you know uh 42 seconds We're or something nice. yeah. foto, 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 photo, photo. right or take a photo How exactly you
3: see in one visit to a museum and retain
1: usually for me one <coughs> but uh, everybody's different but um but, but i think go but to an mm. oh no then then i'm obliged to do to go through it but but then i'm in despair you know i feel overwhelmed so you can't <laughs> retain it. yeah it's a fine because i um because i think also okay so this is the um, but the upshot is that that painting that I'm returning to, sometimes two paintings or, um, they become um, locations, you know, like what I was talking about a room. You know, they become places that I return to where the conversation is picked up. It's never repeated. If it's repeated, then I move to another painting. But uh, it's, it, 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 uh it moves and then I, I also find that I bring to it the reason I like doing that over a period of time is that I am changing too so I bring to it different things. A friend of mine said something about this particular idea and somehow it seems to be bouncing off the painting or you know um, for example um, and so so the short answer is I, I do it because I am still trying to figure out how it to look. Uh, how 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 to look at a painting i still it's not obvious to me that's not um, i don't have a formula for it mm.
3: do you find that looking at the paintings actually mm. they they end up telling allowing you to see things about yourself and about your own thoughts
1: yes absolutely i think i think the great paintings like great books are incredibly generous you know they're very they're very um, expansive places, you know, um, and um, and the interesting thing is that after those paintings, after looking at them for a while, um, it's not that I have mastered them. It's the opposite. It's as if their questions or their variety uh, has has expanded, you know. Um, very much, I think, like the nature of intimacy with people, isn't it? Like the more you know someone, if you know someone very well, they become strangely more mysterious. They're, they're, you know, they're less sort of... You're less of an authority on them. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I wanted to ask something
3: yeah. about um, uh, your thoughts about literature and its purpose, because when you were talking about Writing your book, you you replied that people understand what you're saying because they know they have a connection within, and, and you bring something, and they it comes out of them mm. the understanding. Mm. But a lot of people would say that the purpose of literature is that it it, it introduces you to things you don't know about. Yes, and yeah. emotions and beliefs and situations and thoughts and deep quite deep yes. meaning mm. that you don't know about so yes. i'm kind of i'm not sure that you're right actually that's what I'm saying, yes. basically, yeah in a word. no i'm not sure i'm, I'm right either sure you're right but no sorry but that's all right i mean i love your books but i'm not sure you're right about that because no. um, because when i read your work i'm um, um of course there are things about your work that i of course i do understand and know about but I also find myself and that's why I like your work is I find myself in a region of things that okay, yeah, I suppose you're kind of right and you're kinda of wrong aren't you? Because oh. you uh, No, but I'm not giving away yet. But there's a kind of yeah. you know, you you, you you know, you present something and of course one has a call to it from oh either one's thoughts thinks, Oh my god, yeah, that's yeah, that's right, isn't it? How amazing is that? or one thinks and that's new or maybe you think da- deep down in the depths of oneself there's a little bit of that th- which has been called up but I'm not completely convinced that the writer engenders things which are there is what I'm saying so I think you're wrong <laughs> can I, um... I can avoid that question sorry um, No, I <laughs> want, but I want to have the end of the last passage the yeah. And you read about, you felt you were taking part in a centuries-old choreography. Yes. And it triggered, for me, something I hadn't valued about my past, because in actual fact I was a dancer, mm. and took part in centuries-old choreography, yes. yeah. to the yeah. point where I never wanted to dance in Swan Lake again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but it, and I thought, you know something, yeah. I never really valued that until you sa- said that. So it drew out something that was there yes and really highlighted it for mm. me. It's a wonderful
0: mm.
3: comment and it's mm. a wonderful thing working yeah. with people on dance yeah. to say to them, well, you're witnessing yes. centuries-old yeah. yeah. choreography, yes. you can engage with it. So thank you
1: yeah. for that. My pleasure, thank you. What no I. Uh, yes, please. I'm just going to respond because I'd I'd hate for you to feel like your question is just hanging because it's um, you know you're 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 both right and wrong at the same time. Well, I, I, I realize, uh, that, and, I mean, and you're more wrong. And I I am I am definitely. Somebody def- right. isn't uh, wrong because you
3: don't recognize it. No, no, yeah. no But but I suppose I suppose, I
1: suppose we we both things. we both m- may be talking about the same thing because. Um, you're right. Books do. We go to books in order to learn about other places well, no, and not, other. Not, and not hold on, hold no, on. Wait, 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 wait. Sometimes. <laughs> wait, <laughs> sorry, sorry. wait. Just give me a moment. So, that we do go to books because you know to 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 introduce us to new things, and they do. Old books do. Even the ones written by people that are very similar to us or have lived very similar lives. But I suppose what I mean is that. Um, the more profound, perhaps, moments, that's maybe that's sort of the architecture, the outwardly architecture of a book might not be familiar to us. But if a book is really going to connect with us, then the, the, all of the inner stuff you know, um, uh, has to wake up in us moments of recognition. Because I think the really profound moments in reading are moments when you encounter yourself or elements of yourself or things that you've experienced. It's It's
3: an observation, really. Going back to painting, I think what a lot of people don't sort of get is that how exciting it is to be as close to a painting as Leonardo was, or in this case, Duccio was. I mean, that kind of Mm. washes away the years in between somehow. you are there. You are in the presence of a master. Just observation.
1: Yes, I mean physically, but also I think maybe even more powerfully the ideas that they are, yeah. you know, thinking about or painting about are very, I feel, incredibly intimate, ab- you know, to, yeah. Um, yes.
2: So, exactly, it follows on from that, so when did you start writing that, that last passage? When did you start committing something to writing it? Did each time you went back to your flat, did you start making oh, some notes? Oh, I see.
1: Yes, I I mean, I kept a diary, but I wasn't thinking I was going to write this. I was in the middle of writing something else that I'd started um, and went back to it. And actually, it wasn't until two years later that I really thought, two years from going to Siena, that I thought I might try to write this. In those two years, every two to three months, I would reread the diaries because I somehow would doubt that I had this kind of intense experience. And I think, oh no, it wasn't, it, uh, just my memories playing games uh, uh, on me, it wasn't really that interesting. But then I'd read the diaries and I would be reminded, actually, no, it is, it, it was like that. that and a
2: key moment when oh, yeah. you say it isn't about God, it's about... Yeah. It's, it's yeah, love. I think you saying. I mean, did you think yeah. you got there when you were sitting in front of it, or really that only
1: just came Maybe on some level, but you know, I think that's what's interesting about writing is that it is, it is a space, where you could do a certain kind of thinking, that isn't available at least to me in any other mode. And it's also about salvaging, which connects to your point. It's also about, trying to rescue some of those impressions that I had. I have had so many other impressions that of course aren't in this book, so many other things have happened. Um, but that sort of, you know, that thing that T.S. Eliot speaks about writing is an act against oblivion, you know, of course it's always a failed act, oblivion will always win, you know, but you're trying to 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 capture some of those. those
0: the next question asked why in the Duccio painting is only a single friar mentioned, even though three figures are represented.
1: I know I might be wrong, but Duccio does this in a lot of a lot of his paintings. He would give you a former and a latter uh, representation of someone. Like for example, the the healing of the uh, 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 of the blind man, which is at, at the National Gallery. Um, and you have, you know, it's a f- it's an incredible painting. That painting that was the pa- that was maybe the the picture that mm-hmm. started this love affair with this this kind of work, um, because it's divided. So. On the north part of the painting, you have these very elaborate, uh, collaged almost, um, architectural landscape, cityscape, with uh, arches and windows, and they're all blank, Mm. they're all looking into nothing and there's nobody in there. Mm. And then in the lower half, you have all the the drama, you have Christ in the middle and um, and a group of people watching what he's doing and uh, the the first representation of the blind man is the healed one that Christ heals and the other one is the one that was still blind so he's got both of them there in the painting um and it's a very clever way to manage the space and to also manage what he's thinking about which is what the painting to me is really thinking about is what it means to see and what is what is it really to be blind what is it really to To see something, given that we most of us are looking all the time, and we know that we d- there's a big difference between looking and really truly seeing something know so um but th- you know there are other examples also of paintings that he 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 does that and he also loves this idea of doing a painting of a painting, just to me seems such a such a modern idea know that so he would do a painting and then show you the the, the the ledge, you know, the sort of the shelf of the of the altar, right? So it's as if, you, you know, um, but yeah, so that's why I read it that way. I might be wrong. There might be three friars, but it just seems to me very much part of what he does elsewhere.
0: One person then suggested that Siena and its contrada have a kind of tribal energy. Even its images appear to engender a constitutional order and civility. Was it accidental or by design? that Hisham went to Siena had a time of passion and turmoil but also order an interaction which is reflected both in the paintings and his book.
1: I don't think by design but it's it's um, you know you're right about all that but also I go at a moment when that dream of um, a, a better future in Libya descends into, into war and, and conflict um, and um, I didn't want to push that too strongly, but I wanted to I wanted to uh, keep it there, you know, to as I'm looking at the paintings, as I'm writing about the paintings, particularly uh, the allegory of good government by by Lorenzetti, which is a kind of an, a secular altarpiece to to. Uh, the bad sorry, you forgot the bad, the bad. bad g- exactly. Bad the, the, the allegory the of bad good bad and gov- bad <laughs> government. Um, And um, um, but I I didn't want to, you know, although I mentioned a little bit some of what's in the background, at least in my thoughts, I didn't want to push it too much. I wanted to to try to do that thing that I think is true. I I think if you want to write about, you know, a German uh, writer W.G. Seybold had this lovely idea that all you have to do is keep it in mind. You could write about whatever else you want to write about, but keep whatever it is in mind. And you'll find how it sort of it 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 uh it 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 resonates, you know. It it does resonate. Um yeah.
3: I think you've achieved that actually. Because you talk you talking I can't about agree
1: that. with you now about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes
3: you can. No, no, I'm being nice now. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'm not. No, I think, no, I think yes, you have achieved you that, that because I think, you know, you've got the, you know, there's uh, there's lots of, there's like two or three threads, isn't there? There's the yeah. kind, of, and one can experience that th- oneself. You know, sometimes when you're a bit fed up or you've, you know, you've lost your boyfriend or something yes. terrible's happened, yeah. you say, oh, I'm just going to go and look at the pictures. Mm. So you go and look at the mm. pictures and you get the kind of solace from the pictures. And then you have a little walk around and you have a bit of lunch and you're still a bit fed up and all these things are kind of layered on top of each other but underneath there is this this other thing which of course for you is yes. the, your family thing yeah. and which for me could be lots of different things yeah. but no, I think you have achieved that and I think that's one of the most mm. beautiful things about the book mm. actually
1: Thank you but No,
3: I, I mean okay. that I yeah. you, I think that's,
1: yeah.
3: and I like to say a lot so I, th- no, I think that's really lovely in the book that you've managed to, you know you mm. get you get the kind of stream of consciousness or not i mean that's such a kind of crass thing to talk about but the sort of different layers of one's Mm, observing and Mm. being and thinking and feeling all kind of layered up together into this kind of funny little day where you meet the nigerian woman you go to the picture you meet the skies on the outside of town you go Mm. to the the cemetery but it's all kind of connected and it all has a really really lovely sort of, you know it has a kind of a no- all of it has an emotional resonance which yeah. goes down to something else which yeah. is the heart of it mm-hmm.
1: and I think that is really beautiful. So. Thank you.
3: Very
2: small point but about your first day. My first? Your first day when you yes. were in Seattle yeah. with your wife and it was interesting because yeah. you you said you spent most of the m- the first part of the morning, just meandering round the side street. Yes. And you only then got yes. to El Campo. Yeah. Uh, that interests me yeah. because, you know, tourists would probably go straight to El Campo. Yes. And I just wonder where that rather reflects your way of getting into a subject that, first of all, you don't want to go straight to
1: yes. the center. Yes, yeah, no, don't don't never. Want to go straight. Yeah. You want to
2: work your way slowly around. Mm familiarise yourself mm. with the city and only then come to the heart of it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the lovely thing about having time, you know. Um, I also like going to cities and um, and liberating myself entirely of uh, any obligations. To go, oh I've got to see this museum and I've got to... And sometimes it's so, you know, so nice to just be in a place you hardly know and just walk you know, a, s- a small area, you know, streets. I, I, I find that so pleasant, uh, um, yeah. Should we, at this point, let those who need to go
2: depart, yeah. yeah, but stay go. if yeah. you want to, because there's more wine, and <laughs> nobody has
1: to hurry <laughs> away. But. Let me say at this point, thank you very much. Yes, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank 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 you. Thank you. Thank you.